This is A Fresh Agenda. Conversations to connect your productivity and creativity and generate your deepest work. Here is your host, Christina Mendonza. This is A Fresh Agenda, where we chat with innovators, entrepreneurs, and thought leaders. I'm Christina Mendonza. Welcome to this tiny spot in the podcast universe. Glad to have you here for a while. This podcast is about having some deeper and more positive conversations on topics of creativity and motivation to explore how people create or build businesses or innovate in their industries. In this episode, we chat with Alan Gannett, author, speaker, and technology CEO. He started a company called TrackMaven, which deals with marketing analytics for big brands like NBA and GE, but also startups like Dollar Shave Club and MailChimp. His book is called The Creative Curve, and it's a fun read that borrows from the study of Malcolm Gladwell and Daniel Pink, but also breaks new ground and takes the methods of cultivating creative genius in ourselves through chapter-by-chapter lessons and some really useful techniques. So, before we begin, with Alan, there's nothing in the news to talk about, right? (laughs) Between March and April and May, it feels like the Great Depression, the 1918 flu, and the 60s civil unrest all wrapped up into one spring. Now, I'm not going to chat about coronavirus or the economy or even the protests that we've been seeing because I know that you're all getting pinged with notifications on all three all day long. So in this half hour, I really want to talk about creativity. In the midst of a global lockdown, a new wave of people have joined the creator economy. Now, the creator economy encompasses everything from professional creatives to first-time creators that are producing content as both a coping mechanism and a strategic business play. Think of everything from masterclass to TikTok. Now, we all didn't suddenly decide to be creative. We had room in some cases, also economic motivation to find new revenue streams as the economy did the biggest about face that we've seen in history. This is why Alan is a great guy to talk to about this right now. He's just written that book with the creative curve. He dives into the science of creativity. We're talking brain science. That is so interesting. Where creativity comes from, are more people prone to have it, and how do we cultivate it in our own lives? Why we're all capable of the elusive creative genius. But first, a word about my sponsor, MyCECourse.com. It is a multimedia education option for state compliance, professional growth, and engagement. The course dives deep into specialized subjects while meeting all curriculum and legal requirements. Our custom LMS platform allows certification with the nation's most respected HR, legal, and state insurance agencies. With a team of attorneys, insurance professionals, and award-winning broadcast personalities, we make continuing education both informative and interesting with reliable, relatable, and targeted storytelling. We just finished an educational documentary on sex trafficking. It's been picked up by several trade groups, and our documentary on sexual harassment was just endorsed by the California Dental Board. It is education that is relevant and compliant, mycecourse.com. Alan Gannett has spoken at events such as South by Southwest, TEDx, the Internet Summit, and dozens of others. He does workshops on cultivating your own creativity, and the book was a fun read. Here's Alan Gannett. How are you doing with all of the craziness that's going on right now? I know you're moving. You're right in the middle of a move. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I'm doing pretty well, you know, all things considered. I think, you know, life as as a writer, obviously, 
is um, is luckily indoors. So I feel very lucky in that regard, and I'm working on a new book. And so I've just been telling myself this is a big writing sabbatical. How did you get interested in the topic of creativity? I mean, I know you're a tech entrepreneur and and deal with data and analytics. So uh, how did how did you get curious about creativity and where it comes from? Yeah, so for about six and a half years, I ran a company that helped marketers understand the patterns in their data. And one of the things we found is that when you look at the patterns of what customers and consumers react to, there's a lot of sort of systems to it. There's a lot of um, order to it. But yet when you talk to marketers, they would say things like, oh, I'm not that creative. That's not me. I wasn't born with those skills. And so I got really fascinated with this sort of question of like, why are people so insecure about their creativity? And I sort of dug more into it. And as I started teasing it out, I realized that creativity is this like wildly misunderstood concept. And so the book sort of morphed out of this frustration, I guess, on some level, um, and eventually turned into the sort of three-year research project to answer this question of, can you learn to become more creative? And it's an interesting topic. I love the topic. I mean, I've read everything I can with from Malcolm Gladwell and Daniel Pink. And I know you reference some of their work in, in your book. What was one of the more surprising revelations when it came to creativity that you came across? Yeah, I mean, to me, the thing that people don't get when it comes to creativity is how much of a social phenomenon it is. And as a result, how it's changed over the years. So I got really into some of the history of creativity. If you actually go back thousands of years, for a while, creatives were actually viewed very negatively by society. And so they were viewed as basically imitators of God. And um, in some ways, even that was sort of a bad thing, right? They were just sort of trying to be God, but they weren't God. And over time, what you find is that creativity and capitalism have been intertwined for thousands of years. So as people became more wealthy, there became a bigger demand for nice art and things like that. And as the sort of cost of art went up, these creators are also able to demand more prestige, sort of more social capital. And so what you find is that creativity as a concept, how we define creativity, what we think creativity as, has actually not been a particularly static concept. And a more modern example of this is in the 90s, if you were a pop star, um, you never acknowledged who your songwriters were. In fact, if you looked at some of these, um, you know, the liner notes, you'd actually see, it would say that, you know, Britney Spears wrote the song. Now, we know that's not true. Now, today, there's actually been this whole sort of songwriter phenomenon where there's these famous behind-the-scenes songwriters. So now, people very openly say, who is the songwriter on a song, because it actually helps them. And so creativity as a concept is very malleable, and that's something that really sort of took me aback, because I just didn't realize it. And it seems like it's, uh, I know, you know, in the work of some other authors, they've talked about how it's so important now with things becoming more automated. And, uh, you know, anyone can make a toilet brush, but the most creative (laughs) one is usually the one that sells. Yeah. And what's funny is if you think about the education system, right, the education system has been designed to help people get, you know, white collar jobs that are high skill, but ultimately are repeatable functions. Think about like accounting or law. And now what you're seeing is that AI and machine learning is even starting to automate some of those white collar jobs. And so if you think about sort of what is a future proof skill, creativity is the future proof skill. And so um, there was a report in 2018 from LinkedIn that found that creativity was the number one sought after soft skill by employers. Now, I don't think it's a soft skill. I think it's a hard skill. Um, But I think that's very telling of how employers are starting to think about this. 
Well, I think the book is really valuable, and I love that you give actual um, action items on how to improve your own creativity. And I don't want to just—I want people to go get the book and, and check it out for themselves. Um, but if you could give us give us one, give us one um, one thing that you found really does help enhance one's creativity. Totally. So basically, the book is split up into two sections. The first half is I looked at the history and the science around creativity and sort of explaining, like, what are the myths around creativity and busting those myths? The second half of the book was really looking at what are actionable things you can do to become more creative. And so I interviewed 25 living creative achievers, creative greats. These are like Tony Award winners, billionaires, mission star chefs. And look for what are the patterns? What are the things they do? And then I explain the pattern and the science behind it. And one of the patterns that really stuck out to me, because I think it was so surprising, is this idea of consumption. So I was interviewing these creatives, and I found that to a person, they all were rabid consumers of their genre, niche, whatever it was. And I talk about the story of Ted Sarandos, who's the chief content officer of Netflix, who started his career as a clerk at a video rental store, remember those? And he literally watched every single movie in the store. And I found this pattern over and over again. Novelists read every book in the library, jazz musicians listen to every single jazz album they can. And what's interesting is that so often we think about consumers and creators as sort of opposite ends of the spectrum. Consumers consume, creators create, active, passive. But when you actually look at the science around creativity, what you find is the reason why consumption has such a big role to play is that our right hemisphere is actually incredibly good at coming up with new and interesting combinations of ideas. But ultimately, if you want to connect the dots, you know, I say you have to have the dots to connect. And so this is why creatives are such crazy consumers, because it gives them the raw material to come up with new ideas, right? It's no surprise that J.K. Rowling was a massive bookworm. But yet, for some reason, we think if we're not having aha moments and flashes of genius about a topic without having done any work, then we're not ready for it. We don't have natural talent. And that's just ridiculous. That I did find that very interesting, the brain science that you that you brought to bear in this book and, and how you need the raw materials to actually develop the creativity. The ideas do come from somewhere. Totally. And basically, you know, it's kind of trite to talk about left brain, right brain, but it actually turns out when you look at some of the academic work around it, it's actually really, really important because basically in a right hemisphere, we do a type of processing that happens below the level of consciousness. So think about your left hemisphere, it's very loud. Everything it does is very conscious. It's where you solve math problems, for example. Like when you're solving a math problem, you look at it, you step-by-step figure it out, and you solve it. Your right hemisphere acts sort of like, I think of it as like your quiet lab partner in college who's like quietly working. And just once they get the answer, do they sort of pop up and say, hey, I got the answer. And this is why you hear a lot of stories around creativity happening in places like your shower, your commute on long walks, um, right before you go to sleep or right when you wake up. Because these are all moments where your left hemisphere activations are suppressed. 
So you can actually hear, so to speak, what's going on in your right hemisphere. This is also why traditionally drugs and alcohol have been tied to creativity. These are all things that suppress our left hemisphere, but like, you don't have to do drugs. You can like go on a walk. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I want to take that concept and apply it to what we've been doing uh, in self-isolation due to the pandemic. It seems at least like there has been this wave of creative culture that has, um, that has really come on strong during this pandemic. Is that because we have the room and the space and the quiet to actually let some of these ideas bubble up? Exactly. I think you're seeing people have the time for the consumption and they have the the peace and quiet to actually sort of let their brain be heard. And so I like to talk about the idea that if you want to be creative, one of the things you have to do is you have to find some type of meditative activity, right? It doesn't have to be meditation. I don't like meditation, but something meditative. So that can be a long walk, which is what Steve Jobs did. It can be, you know, solo vacations, which is what Bill Gates does. Um, it can be, you know, going on long car rides. It can be running. But whatever it is, you have to carve out that time. And I think during quarantine, obviously, it's easier than ever before. We don't have our commutes. If you live by yourself, you literally have more quiet time. So I think that's why you're seeing a, res- a surge of creativity. Well, I know you've done South by Southwest and, and many other speaking conferences. When you talk to live audiences, what are they most curious about? What do they ask you? So um, one of the most common questions I get is, who is your favorite person to interview? And the story I always like to tell is um, that I spent a day with the flavor team at Ben and Jerry's, which is like, you know, the best job in America by far. And what's interesting about them is, and I think this is really important for anyone who manages teams, what's interesting is the thing that I took away from that experience was that really, at the end of the day, the sort of foundation of their work is psychological safety. And the reason why for so long they've been so good and be able to stay on trend as flavors and palettes have changed, which is actually quite hard to do, is that at their company... They are not given bonuses based on how well flavor they design sells. They are not fired over how good or bad a flavor they design sells. What they've done is build a culture where they think of their product not as the ice cream, not as the ice cream, but their product is their process. Their actual innovation process, that's the product that they think of as their work. And so as they learn new things, as they create flavors and some work and some don't work, as they take lessons back and change their innovation process, it's a success. Mm-hmm. And I think that attitude is just very, very powerful. It's actually the same thing that Pixar does with movies. And Ed Catmull has a great book on creativity called Creativity Inc. And he talks about how at Pixar, Their special sauce is not any individual movie. It's that they use the same process for every single movie. And so the result of that is they can iterate on the process, and people feel a sense of psychological safety because, well, as long as they're improving the process, it's okay to mess up. And I think that, to me, is always just a very fundamental takeaway if you're a leader or someone who works on a team is that question of how do you build psychological safety? And the whole study of this, I'm, I'm curious. I mean, where, where did you go to school? What, what kind of family life did you have that made you so interested in systems? <laughs> uh, yeah, so I, um, you know, I'm not a PhD. I don't have a psychology degree. Um, I have always been someone who's been very obsessive around patterns. I, um, my parents were divorced, only child. 
sort of, they were both working. I had a lot of time by myself. And so I think to sort of keep myself occupied, I started really getting fascinated by how to sort of like decode things or break things down. And so, you know, for a while, this was video games. Um, I had a phase where I really was fascinated by getting on a game show. And so at age 18, the first time I was able to, I got on a game show within a few months. Like, And um, I've just always been sort of interested in how to sort of work backwards from problems. Um, and to me, creativity is just another one of these problems to work backwards from. And what I thought was so fascinating was when I sort of got into this research, there's actually so much academic work on creativity. Um, you know, sort of the predominant um, research that I sort of most subscribe to is it's called the systems model of creativity. And there's all these there's studies, there's all sorts of really great stuff out there. So creativity is a concept that I think a lot of us think of as very nebulous, but it's actually very well researched and well studied in multiple of the social sciences. Is that what got you interested in doing data analysis for, for uh, marketing companies or for, for companies to help them market their products? Yeah, so my background was I had um, been a digital marketer, and I had a role running marketing for a small startup, and I sort of was like trying to figure out, you know, what content to create, and I sort of thought, you know, we should be working backwards. Like, what is working for other people? What is the data telling us? And there wasn't any good tools for that, and so back in 2012, I started my company, TrackMaven, um, which we went on to work with brands like the NBA, GE, uh, Marriott, MailChimp, Dollar Shave Club, sort of a wide range of like high growth companies and large institutions. Uh, because fundamentally, marketing is just sort of, I think of it as another pattern to solve. Um, and there's a lot of applications to uh, research around creativity when it comes to marketing. And I think what's funny is marketers tend to be the most self-conscious about creativity. They don't think of themselves as creative, but as we all know, having seen good marketing and bad marketing, creativity is very fundamental. You know, I was thinking, I have a um, uh, an adult daughter who's involved in marketing, and we were talking about kind of jobs of the future as she looks forward at her own career. And, and I want to get your opinion on this. To me, it seems like marketing is going to be even more important as we uh, come out of this economic downturn and companies need to let uh, their co- consumers know in a very specific way what they stand for and what they have to offer. Yeah, I think what you're also seeing that's interesting is people are tuning out more and more a lot of types of marketing that are more programmatic, whether that's display advertising, everyone has these ad blockers, or on TV, right, we all sort of have subscribed to ad-free things, or we have you know, TiVo and we skip the ads. And so I think what you're seeing is brands have been moving to more of a storytelling methodology. And you know, I think about Marriott, for example, has all these short films they've created. Chipotle created a video game, right? And so mm-hmm. um, what you're seeing, I think, is that the sort of marketing of the future is the most creative marketing because people sort of like are sick of like seeing these interruptive banner ads. And now we have the technology to just, well, avoid it. Right. Unless we're interested in the story. Brilliant. I mean, that just that bodes well for creative types or yeah. people who aspire to be. Uh, talk to me about your upcoming project. You're working on another book now, right? Yeah. So I'm working on a new book. I'm not talking about it yet, but it is a uh, it is more self-helpy than the, this one, I think, is a sort of like a mostly a business book with some self-help elements. This one is like very much a self-help book because one of the things I found um, when I was working on this book and then talking to people about it for the last couple of years and giving speeches is that, um, you know, for a lot of people, there's something deeper 
um, going on than just the lack of understanding. Um, and so I'm sort of fascinated by some of the sort of things that we do to ourselves to hold ourselves back. And so sort of broadly, that's what the next book's on. Right. You mentioned um, one of your, your theories or one of the things you talk about in your current book is is the consuming those types of products or consuming the type of product that you eventually make or revolutionize. Are you a consumer of self-help books and a consumer of, of books on creativity? Oh, totally. Yeah. Um, you know, I think about this in sort of two fronts. So um, you want to learn, A, the type of consumption you want to do to create ideas, right, when you're writing a book is really around, sort of for me, at least academic research. So I read, you know, tens of thousands of pages of academic peer-reviewed research. And what's interesting is when you do that, you know, then when I go on walks or runs, you start to have these, like, weird connections that you wouldn't have had unless you read that stuff, right? And so mm-hmm. I very much experienced that myself. And then the other thing that I talk about in the book is the importance, and this is a word that I think people get sort of worked up about, and we can talk about why it's unnecessarily so, um, imitation. And so what you find when you look at the best creative is that they are very open about their use of imitation. And this is not imitating the content of other work, right? That's plagiarism. But rather, it's imitating the structure of other work. And so, for example, if you think about the amount of movies that are Shakespearean dramas or tragedies, right? If you think about um, the way in which music, right, popular music, for example, has the same number of courses, similar number of verses, similar length, right? There's a certain structure that, as humans, we like to imitate. And the reason why is that, and I talk about this at length in the book, is that there's all this psychological research about how the ideas that tend to take hold are the ideas that have one foot in the familiar and one foot in the novel. They bring something that feels safe to you, but they also add a novel twist. As humans, we don't actually like radical novelty. Mm -hmm. And so what I found for my writing, for example, is... I tried to use a lot of the sort of writing techniques that I found that some of the great writers, both in my genre, but also other genres use in terms of how do you tell stories? How do you um, move from chapter to chapter? um, Because there is a way that people like stories to be told. And your job as a creative is not to reinvent your entire art form. Your job as a creative is to add your own unique perspective to your art form. Right. Well, you are so, I mean, I'm just listening to you and thinking, I mean, I'm, it's very exciting because that is, I'm a systems person too. Where can people connect with you and learn more about your work? Yeah, so my website is allen.xyz, that's A-L-L-E-N, and there's newsletter links, social media, book links, all the good stuff. Fantastic. All right. Thank you so much for your time, Alan Gannett. Appreciate you and uh, looking forward to your next book. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Alan Gannett. Thanks again for being here. Don't forget about your mandatory training needs. Check out mycecourse.com. Tell your HR manager about it. It is already the training company of preference for many government agencies and companies. And don't miss the KFBK Morning News, Monday through Friday, 5 a.m. to 9 a.m. Sam Shane and me, we're just two journalists with about six decades of news experience between us talking about the news with you. It is a very different morning news program, perspective, depth, analysis, and fun. And if you're in Sacramento, it's at 93.1 FM, 1530 AM, or... 
anywhere in the world on your iHeartRadio app. And please reach out anytime on any of my platforms. You can also reach out through my website, ChristinaMendonca.com. Thank you so much for being here. I'm Christina Mendonca. This has been a fresh agenda. Let's stay connected. Conversations to connect your productivity and creativity. This is a fresh agenda. 